Sometimes life can feel like a pressure cooker. From our work life to our personal lives and relationships, there's so much to balance. It's easy to feel weighed down when you're experiencing anxiety, stress, or sadness. But guess what? You're not alone. You may not know it now, but support is all around you. No matter where you are, all you need to do is ask. Let us help find you a community at churchescare.com. Churches are communities of care. Go to C-H-U-R-C-H-E-S-Care.com to explore the possibilities. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one dollar. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun, and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just one dollar. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens, and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Roswell in the 21st century is a detailed re-examination of the Roswell UFO crash case. I have studied the evidence for more than 30 years, and I now put that evidence under a microscope in a cold case examination of the facts. These facts might not please everyone. They are based on my comprehensive investigation that took years to complete, but they do lead to the conclusion that whatever fell was not built on Earth. The best of Project Blue Book is based on the 22-year-long investigation conducted by the Air Force. But the book goes far beyond that, bringing in evidence that was uncovered long after Project Blue Book was ordered to be terminated. Using facts that were unavailable to the Air Force investigators, I was able to prove that the Air Force manipulated the data and drew unrealistic conclusions about the UFO sightings reported to them. My different perspective shows there was more to Project Blue Book than even the Air Force knew. Both books are available at Amazon.com. Join Patty Conklin and Healing Within Radio each week. More than entertainment, Healing Within offers educational, useful tools for everyday life. Listen for help overcoming fear, anxiety, and depression. Patty knows about eliminating cancer, MS, dementia, Parkinson's, and a host of illnesses that we face every day. Life can be good. Life is good. All you need are simple tools to start changing your life. 
Start right now by visiting pattyconklin.com, P-A-T-T-I-C-O-N-K-L-I-N. No matter where you are in the world, you can work with Patty through Skype, phone, or in person, visiting one of her retreats in Georgia. Visit pattyconklin.com today or call our offices at 404-474-0086. That's pattyconklin.com or call 404 404- 474-0086. Welcome everyone to Too Good to Be True. Thank you for taking the time to listen. The subject for today's show is the Stanford Prison Experiment and other psychological experiments. Before we start getting into details, let's just briefly talk about psychic insight and how we apply it. We choose a subject, then research it, and based on that research, we determine what we think needs to be explained by creating a series of questions. Then Justina provides psychic insight to answer those questions. The psychic insight is narrated towards the end of the show. Accepting the psychic insight is a question of individual belief. Now let's go through the disclaimers. Here are the disclaimers. Neither of us claim to have any expertise in any subjects that we discuss. We relate information we find through research and the psychic insight. We are always delighted to hear from the listeners. The show only lasts an hour. We don't have the time to present exhaustive research on any topic. This means that there will be information that we miss. We want to provide a basis for the psychic insight. We don't care if a theory turns out too good to be true, as the show name suggests. We are only interested in finding out more of the truth about topics. Spirit can only relate insight that is appropriate for our time and history. Free will cannot be affected. Only comments that are appropriate for our time can be given through the psychic insight. Much of the subject matter and shows may have already been covered many times in other media. We want to look into subjects in a new, different way and be thought-provoking. We are not so good with pronouncing names, we apologize. And neither of us have any particular knowledge of psychology or associated sciences. If we have misstated anything, we apologize. The word psychology seems to be used a lot, but I'm not clear on the meaning. Why don't you start with a definition of psychology? The following definition is from Wikipedia. Quote, psychology is the science of behavior and mind. Psychology includes the study of conscious and unconscious phenomena, as well as feeling and thought. It is, it is an academic discipline of immense scope. Unquote. Figuring out human behavior and how the human mind works needs to be safe and ethical. The online psychology degree info website discusses ethics. There has to be a limit to the argument that the end justifies the means. And I quote, humanity often pays a high price for progress and understanding. At least that seems to be the case in many famous psychological experiments. While some famous experiments in psychology have left subjects temporarily distressed, Others have left their participants with lifelong psychological issues. In either case, it's easy to ask the question, what's ethical when it comes to science? Then there are the experiments that involve children, animals, and test subjects who are unaware they're being experimented on. How far is too far if the result means a better understanding of the human mind and behavior? End quote. The Stanford Prison Experiment went too far. The Simple Psychology website outlines the purpose of the experiment. Philip Zimbardo, sorry, an American psychologist and Stanford University professor, led the research. Quote, Zimbardo and his colleagues, 1973, were interested in finding out whether the brutality 
reported among guards in American prisons was due to sadistic, due to the sadistic personalities of the guards, i.e. dispositional, or had more to do with the prison environment, i.e. situational. For example, prisoners and guards may have, may have personalities which make conflict inevitable, with prisoners lacking respect for law and order and guards being domineering and aggressive. Alternatively, prisoners and guards may behave in a hostile manner due to the rigid power structure of the social environment in prisons. Zimbardo predicted the situation made people act the way they do rather than their dispositional personality. And, and, end quote. The experiment would have to depend on simulating real conditions. How did they achieve that? From the same article, quote, to study the roles people played in play in prison situations, Zimbardo converted a basement of the Stanford University Psychology Building into a mock prison. He advertised asking for volunteers to participate in a study of the psychological effects of prison life. The 75 applicants who answered the ad were given diagnostic interviews and personality tests to eliminate candidates with psychological problems, medical disabilities, or a history of crime or drug abuse." Unquote. 24 out of 75 were chosen for mental stability, maturity, etc. None of the 24 knew each other beforehand. So some were the prisoners and some were guards. Yes, participants were randomly assigned to being a prisoner or guard. There were 10 prisoners and 11 guards after two reserves were designated and there was a dropout. The experiment started with the prisoners having a simulated experience of being treated like criminals. Here's more from the Simple Psychology article. Quote, Prisoners were treated like every other criminal, being arrested at their own homes without warning and taken to the local police station. They were fingerprinted, photographed and booked. Then they were blindfolded and driven to the psychology department of Stanford University, where Zimbardo had the basement set out as a prison, with barred doors and windows, bare walls and small cells. Here, the de-individuation process began. When the prisoners arrived at the prison, they were stripped naked, deloused, had all their personal possessions removed and locked away, and were given prison clothes and bedding. They were issued a uniform and referred to by their number only, unquote. Was there a similar realism for the guards? Again from the Simple Psychology article, quote, All guards were dressed in identical uniforms of khaki, and they carried a whistle around their neck and a billy club borrowed from the police. Guards also wore special sunglasses to make eye contact with prisoners impossible. Three guards worked shifts of eight hours each. The other guards remained on call. Guards were instructed to do whatever they thought was necessary to maintain law and order in the prison and to command the respect of the prisoners. No physical violence was permitted. Zimbardo observed the behavior of the prisoners and guards as a researcher, but also acted as a prison warden." Unquote. What were the results of the experiment? Following a prisoner rebellion on the second day, the experiment ended on the sixth day due to the emotional breakdown of the prisoners and the excessive aggression of the guards. The experiment was supposed to run for 14 days. Here's more from the same article. Quote, Christina Mashlack, a recent Stanford PhD, brought in to conduct interviews with the guards and prisoners, strongly objected when she saw the prisoners being abused by the guards. Filled with outrage, she says, said, it's terrible what you are doing to these boys. Out of 
50 or more outsiders who had seen our prison. She was the only one who had ever questioned its morality. Zimbardo, 2008, later noted, it wasn't until much later that I realized how far into my prison role I was at that point, that I was thinking like a prison superintendent rather than a research psychologist, unquote. Being the lead researcher and also participating in the experiment seems to have been a bad idea. But I think it is significant that it took a female to question the morality or ethics of the experiment. Some observations, again, from the article are as follows. Quote, most of the guards found it difficult to believe that they had behaved in the brutalizing ways that they had. Many said they had known this, that hadn't known this side of them ex existed or that they were capable of such things. The prisoners, too, couldn't believe that they had responded in the submissive, caring, dependent way they had. Several claimed to be assertive types normally. When asked about the guards, they described the usual three stereotypes that can be found in any prison. Some guards were good, some were tough but fair, and some were cruel." Unquote. What does the article have to say about the outcome, especially while their brutality to the prisoners is due to the sadistic personalities of the guards, i.e. dispositional, or had more to do with the prison environment, i.e. situational? The outcome appears to be that brutality appears to be to be more to do with the prison environment, i.e. situational, than the sadistic personalities of the guards, i.e. dispositional. The ethics of the experiment are also discussed in the article. Quote, the study had re has received many ethical criticisms, including lack of fully informed consent by participants, as Zimbardo himself did not know what would happen in the experiment. It was unpredictable. Also, the prisoners did not consent to being arrested at home. The prisoners were not told partly because final approval from the police wasn't given until minutes before the participants, participants decided to participate, and partly because the researchers wanted the arrest to come as a surprise. However, this was a breach of the ethics of Zimbardo's own contract that all the participants had signed." Unquote. Zimbardo believes that gains in the understanding of human behavior enabling improvements in society should outbalance the distress caused by the study. I guess he's saying that the ends justifies the means. A critique of the experiment in the article suggests that the experiment and its findings have little merit. Quote, demand characteristics could explain the findings of the study. Most of the guards later claimed that they were simply acting. Because the guards and prisoners were playing a role, their behavior may not be influenced by the same factors which affect behavior in real life. This means the study's findings cannot be reasonably generalized to real life, such as prison settings, i.e. the study has low ecological validity." Unquote. Let's turn our attention to the Milgram experiment. Wikipedia provides an interview, sorry, an overview. The Milgram experiment on obedience to authority figures was a series of social psychology experiments conducted by Yale University psychologist Stanley Milgram. They measured the willingness of study participants, men from a diverse range of occupations with varying levels of education, to, to obey an authority figure who instructed them to perform acts of conflicting with their own with their personal conscience. Participants were led to believe that they were assisting in, a, in an unrelated experiment, which they had to administer electric shocks to a learner. But I think we'll have to talk about more of this after the break. 
Yes, we'll continue after the short break, and you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the Zone Broadcast Network, www.xcbn.net. Are you looking for psychic services that empower as well as provide accurate information? Jenny is a third-generation psychic with extensive esoteric training. A practicing professional intuitive for over 30 years, her accuracy is astounding. While most psychics can read what will happen to you if you don't change directions, Jenny understands the future is subjective. While there is a river of time we all traverse, that river has many waves, eddies, currents, and tributaries from which to choose. With Gen E as your guide, you can explore the many possible outcomes in the river of time and navigate your course to the one of your liking. Take control of your future. Book your life-changing session with Jenny today at www.gen-e.net. That's www.gen-e.net. Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality is formulated from zoolite whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she'd been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past life lives that links some of the most horrific killers in history to one another. Using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet day, I was able to verify some of Jenny's claims. She has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife. Does this prove the reality of her tales? Conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions. Conversations is available at Amazon.com. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we were discussing the Milgram experiment. And, Dad, you were quoting from Wikipedia. Can you please continue with your quote? 
Yeah, I'll back up a little bit. Uh, participants were led to believe that they were assisting an, an, in, in an unrelated experiment in which they, they had to administer electric shocks to a, a learner. These fake electric shocks gradually increased to levels that would have been fatal had they been real. The experiment found unexpectedly that a very high proportion of subjects would fully obey the instructions, albeit reluctantly. Milgram first described his research in a 1963 article in the Journal of Abnormal and Social Psychology and later discussed his findings in greater depth in his 1974 book, Obedience to Authority and Experimental View. The experiments began in July 1961 in the basement of Lindsley Chittenden Hall at Yale University, three months after the start of the trial of German Nazi war criminal Adolf Eichmann in Jerusalem. Milgram devised his psychological study to answer the popular contemporary question, could it be that Eichmann and his million accomplices in the Holocaust were just following orders? Could we call them all accomplices? The experiment was repeated many times around the globe with fairly consistent results." Unquote. Albert Eichmann's abduction in Argentina, trial in Israel and subsequent execution have been the subject of several movies, including in 2018, Operation Finale. What was the experimental setup? Here's more from Wikipedia. Quote, three individuals took part in each session in the experiment. The experimenter who was in charge of the session the teacher a volunteer for a single session. The teachers were led to believe that they were merely assisting, whereas they were actually the subjects of the experiment. The learner, an actor and confederate of the experimenter who pretended to be a volunteer. The subject and the actor arrived at the session together. The experimenter told them that they were taking part in a scientific study of memory and learning to see what the effect of punishment is on their subject's ability to memorize content. Also, he always clarified that the payment for their par participation in the experiment was secured regardless of its development. The subject and actor drew slips of paper to determine their roles. Unknown to the subject, both slips said teacher. The actor would always claim that, it, that to, have to have drawn the slip that read learner, thus guaranteeing that the subject would always be the teacher. Next, the teacher and learner were taken into an adjacent room where the learner was strapped into what appeared to be an electric chair. The experimenter told the participants that this was to ensure that the learner would not escape. In a later variation of the experiment, the confederate would eventually plead for mercy and yelled that he had a heart condition. At some point prior to the actual test, the teacher was given a sample electric shock from the electroshock generator in order to experience firsthand what the shock that what the shock that the learner would supposedly receive during the experiment would feel like. The teacher and learner were then separated such that, such that they could communicate, not see each other. The teacher was then given a list of word pairs that he was to teach the learner. The teacher began by reading the list of word pairs to the learner. The teacher would then read the first word of each pair and read four possible answers. The learner would press a button to indicate his response. If the answer was incorrect, the teacher would administer a shock to the learner with the voltage increasing in 15 volt increments for each wrong answer. If, the correct, if correct, the teacher would read the next word pair." Unquote. So the teachers were led to believe that they would be administering actual electric shocks that would affect the learner strapped to an electric chair. There would be no experimental value if, there, if that were not the case. 
The Wikipedia article continues, quote, the subjects believed that for each wrong answer, the learner was receiving actual shocks. In reality, there were no shocks. After the learner was separated from the teacher, the learner set up a tape recorder integrated with the electroshock generator, which played pre-recorded sound for each shock level. As the voltage of the fake shocks increased, the learner began making audible protests, such as banging repeatedly on the wall that separated him from the teacher. When the highest voltages were reached, the learner felt su fell silent. If at any time the teacher indicated a desire to halt the experiment, the experimenter was instructed to give specific verbal prods. The prods were in this order. Please continue. The experiment requires that you continue. It is absolutely essential that you continue. You have no other choice. You must go on. If the subject still wished to stop after all four successive verbal prods, the experiment was halted. Otherwise, it was halted after the subject had given the maximum 450 volt shock three times in succession. The experimental, sorry, the experimenter also had prods to use if the teacher made specific comments. If the teacher asked whether the learner might suffer permanent physical harm, the experimenter replied, although the shocks may be painful, there is no permanent tissue damage, so please go on. If the teacher said that the learner clearly wants to stop, the experimenter replied, whether the learner likes it or not, you must go on until he has learned all the word pairs correctly. So please go on, unquote. It is not stated, but I would imagine that a teacher with a knowledge of electricity would be suspicious. A 12-volt jolt from electric fence, such as used to contain cattle, is painful enough, with 450 volts or much less being lethal. What was the actual proportion of teachers that continued to the end of the experiment? 65% define predictions of a minimal percentage made before the experiment started. Later in 1974, Stanley Milgram wrote the following, quote, The extreme willingness of adults to go to almost any lengths on the command of an authority constitutes the chief finding of the study and the fact most urgently demanding explanation. Ordinary people simply doing their jobs and without any particular hostility on their part can become agents in a terrible destructive process. Moreover, even when the destructive effects of their work become patently clear and they, and they are asked to carry out actions incompatible with fundamental standards of morality, relatively few people have the resources needed to resist authority." Unquote. Let's move on to the bystander apathy experiment. The explorable website explains the tragic background to why the experiment was run. Quote, on March the 13th, 1964, Kitty Genovese was murdered in front of her home. She, was, she parked her car a number of feet from her apartment when all of a sudden a man named Winston Mosley chased her down and stabbed her in the back twice. Due to the excruciating pain, Kitty screamed for help and a neighbor, and a neighbor responded, shouting at the criminal, let, let that girl alone. Immediately after getting the attention of the criminal, Winston fled the scene and left the girl crawling towards her apartment. Several witnesses reported to have seen Winston flee the scene with his car and returned 10 minutes after the response of one of the neighbours. After seeing his prey lying on the ground almost unconscious, he stabbed the already wounded Kitty Genovese several times more. After this, he stole the money of the victim and sexually assaulted Miss Genovese. A neighbour phoned the police and an ambulance arrived, but it was too late to help the assaulted Kitty Genovese." Unquote. 
Apparently, 38 neighbours witnessed the assault and murder, but that is disputed. It seems unclear how many neighbours were witnesses and what they heard and saw. Winston Mosley, after being apprehended for another crime, spent 52 years in prison before dying in 2016. Social psychology researchers Bib Latain and John Darley, both from prestigious universities, developed a hypothesis as to why Kitty Genovese did not receive any help until it was far too late. What was their hypothesis? Their hypothesis was that when we are in the presence of other people, we are less likely to help in an emergency for which they created the bystander apathy experiment, which was run in 1968. Actually, there were two experiments as explained by the Albert website. Quote, in the first experiment, Latane and Darley recruited college students to participate in what seemed to be an innocent talk with other college students. Each participant was given headphones and a microphone and stayed alone in a room talking to other students through the intercom. According to the researchers, this was done to protect everyone's anonymity. The theme of the conversation was college life problems, worries and the like. Next, Latane and Darley divided the participants into three groups. The first group thought they were talking one-on-one with, with the other person. The second group thought they were talking with two other people. The third group thought that they were talking in a group of five people. In a certain point of the conversation, a person in the intercom started acting as if he was having a seizure and asked for help. Latane and Darley wanted to investigate the difference of behaviour between each group, according to the number of witnesses. These were the results. When participants thought they were the only ones who could help, 85% of them left the room and asked for assistance. When participants thought they were two other bystanders with them, the number dropped to 64%. In the situation with four bystanders, only 31% of participants searched for help, unquote. What was the second experiment? They looked into the situation where we could ourselves be in danger. Quote, the second experiment, Latane and Darley once again recruited college students, this time to fill out a questionnaire. They divided the participants into two groups. Participants filling out the questionnaire alone in a room. Participants filling out the questionnaire with many confederates in the room who were also filling out the questionnaire. A few minutes after the participants started the task, a black smoke started to creep out from the room's air conditioner. It gets thicker and thicker until the room is filled with smoke. However, in the second group, the confederates were instructed to ignore the smoke and no one seems to have been bothered about it. What do you think happened? I think with that, we have to go to the break, Justine. Yes, we'll continue after this break, and you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. How would your life change if you could develop? Companies that set out to change the world should stand for something, something that matters. For Tanium, it was managing and protecting the world's growing number of endpoints. 
Tanium empowers organizations to embrace digital transformation and change the way people both work and live. They help critical government agencies see what's coming, protect and defend five branches of the U.S. military, and more than half of the Fortune 100 rely on Tanium to manage and secure their critical assets. To learn more, visit Tanium.com. The business and personal skills that you need in order to make more money. Do you want to learn how to achieve your big life goals faster? Then go to findhiddenmoney.com and get the Goal For It online course. The course teaches you how you can set and achieve your biggest goals while completely overcoming the roadblocks to your goals so that you can realize your dreams and imagine more success. Go to findhiddenmoney.com. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com, or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, always remember Exxon Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Memorable dynamic presentations are a not-so-secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hides can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit IconQuality.com. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, Dad, you're quoting from the Albert website. Can you please continue about what happened with the participants? Yeah, just back up a little bit. Uh, a few minutes after the participants started the task, a black smoke starts to creep out from the room's air conditioner. It gets thicker and thicker until the room is filled with smoke. However, in the second group, the Confederates were instructed to ignore the smoke, and so and so 
no one seems to be bothered about it. What do you think happened? Of the participants who were alone, 75% quickly left the room and reported the smoke to the researchers. Of those who were in the room with the unshaken Confederates, only 10% left the room and searched for help after twice the time of the after twice the time of the participants who were alone. This is a surprising result that confirms the first study's findings. The greater the number of bystanders, the less likely we are to act. Even if we ourselves could be put in danger, being surrounded by people who do nothing makes us more likely also to do nothing. This supposes the intuitive idea that the more the that the more people there are in an emergency situation, the more likely it is that someone would call for help. As Latane and Dali have shown in their studies, it is quite the contrary, unquote. Those experiments apparently helped in advancing the field of psychology, as well as helping law enforcement with a better understanding of the typical mentality of witnesses. But it's time for the first question. What guidance would you give, would you offer regarding the ethics of psychological experiments? How far is too far if the result means a better understanding of the human mind and behavior? That's a very complex question since it depends on the individual people and what society they are present in. But the question is that when people are pushed too far or to a point to break them, a lot is learned. However, there's always the question, is it worth it if they are pushed to this point? So the answer to this would depend on the subjects and what they are willing to consent to. Some subjects do consent to something that is more extreme. Obviously, there has to be safeguards in place and where they can exit the experiment at any time. What alternatives are there for experiments on human subjects for scientific investigation of conscious and unconscious phenomena, as well as feeling and thought? Basically, there are computer replacements, so teaching a computer how to be human could be one of the solutions. However, this is a tricky question, since most people go straight to using animals. But animals and humans are very different. Their consciousness is different. And again, there is this issue of consent where animals cannot actually consent. So pushing technology towards being more human-like is the better solution. For the Stanford Prison Experiment, why would it be important in just one controlled situation to know whether the brutality reported among guards in American prisons was due to the sadistic personality of the guards, i.e. dispositional, or had more to do with the prison environment, i.e. situational? Basically, to get a better understanding of humans and also a better understanding of the prison system. So the issue is, in many regards, humans are unknown, especially ones that act in a way that society deems unacceptable. So there are still many more questions, and finding the answers is the hard part. Why wouldn't there be variation in both the personality of the guards and in different prison environments, such that it would be more useful to study prisons with high and low levels of brutality? The issue is humans by nature behave in a different way if they are being watched. So if they know they are being watched, this would be an issue. Obviously, with different technology now, it would be easier. But again, when people, humans, know they are being watched, they act in a very different manner. Why was it so important that the assigned prisoners were treated like criminals and being arrested at their own homes without warning and taken to the local police station? just to make it more realistic and put more fear into the realistic touch of their experience. Wasn't it enough that on arriving at the simulated prison, they were stripped naked, deloused, 
and all their personal possessions removed, etc., issued a uniform and referred to by n- number only. Unfortunately, that is the reality of how some humans are treated. So again, to get the more realistic, that is how some humans are treated or worse. Depending on the country, some humans have it worse than that. Why would the main researcher not see that the experiment was tainted by taking on the role of a prison warden? He had some personality issues, you could say, so he couldn't even evaluate his own behavior. Was Christina Maslach the only woman involved in the experiment? Yes. When brought in to conduct interviews with the guards and prisoners, why was Christina the only person to object when she saw the prisoners being abused by the guards? Two reasons. One, because she was an outsider, so she was not with the experiment the entire time. Number two, generally women do not accept physical violence as much as men. Again, this is a generalization and not always true. But in a lot of regards, women view more talking and expressing versus the physical. Why was it only Christina that objected and questioned the morality of the experiment? Again, it brings into that she was not involved from the start, but also her morals and ethics. Why did it take over 30 years for the main researcher to realize that at a time he was thinking like a prison superintendent rather than a research psychologist? Basically, it's hard for people to evaluate themselves. In many cases, people cannot look at themselves in this more outside view. Wouldn't the prison warden want to remedy a situation rather than letting it continue to get worse? Not always. It depends on the person's motives. Did most of the guards actually find it difficult to believe that they had behaved in the brutalizing ways that they had? A hundred percent, yes. Did many of the guards actually say they hadn't known that a brutalizing side of them existed or that they were capable of such things? Yes. Did the prisoners actually disbelieve that they had responded in the submissive, cowering, dependent way that they had, with several claiming to be the be assertive types normally? Correct, yes. Did the prisoners describe the guards as the usual three stereotypes? Some guards were good, some were tough but fair, and some were cruel. Yes. Were guards and prisoners just saying what was expected of them? Sometimes yes, and other times as human nature, where they didn't really think before they spoke. Can the outcome be arrived at that brutality appears to do be to be more to do with the prison environment, i.e. situational, than the sadistic personality of the guards, i.e. dispositional? Yes and no. For the most part, yes, depending on the situation. It also has to be taken into account that some people go for the more control roles, such as a prisoner guard, since they are very controlling and want this control. Some individuals are just programmed that way. At a tiny experiment, why was it the lack of fully informed consent with the prisoners being arrested at their homes seen as an ethical issue? Humans don't always think long-term, so nobody really thought long-term effects. They just wanted the results and wanted them quickly. Did the ends justify the means in terms of the value of the information gained by the experiment with the suffering induced by it? That's really a question for the participants, if their suffering is worth the results. But in many cases, the people and the long-term effects are not worth the results since they suffer long after the experiment is over. What can we learn from the Stanford Prison Experiment?
But humans don't really understand how to conduct human trials. It's something that is still in process. This isn't the first case of researchers overstepping their bounds. Again, human nature has to be taken into account. Humans do go into the fight or flight just like animals. Changing subject to the Milgram experiment or the background to it, why would SS officer and convicted war criminal Adolf Heitman be thought of, of, of as just obeying orders when he was a major organizer of the Holocaust? That's a tricky question where there are two sides, where some people believe he was just following orders and others believe he had a major role. It goes back to the idea that there is a large population of people who want to see the good in people and not think about their more evil side. Did Adolf Eichmann have any remorse regarding his role in the Holocaust? That's again a complicated question that would have to be asked to him and answered by him. It's difficult to define or put a number on how much remorse a person has and if it justifies what they've done. Why did Eichmann get so much assistance when escaping from Germany to Argentina in 1950? Basically, he was likable, so people wanted to help him. With Eichmann having to be abducted from Buenos Aires, why would the Argentine government have denied extradition of a known criminal? There was more political agreements behind the scenes. Was it entirely ethical for the teachers to be led to, to believe that they were merely assisting when they were actually the subjects of the experiment? Again, ethics and morals depend on the person. Again, there has to be full consent. That's where human trials become tricky, is that people need to know exactly the side effects and what they're in for. Wouldn't the sight of an electric chair from which the learner could not escape suggest to the teacher that the consequence for errors in answering would be severe and possibly lethal? Yes, that's correct. Did all the teachers actually believe that for each wrong answer, the outcome would be an electric shock? Yes. Did the teachers, having been paid for their time, feel an obligation to comply with the verbal prods as follows? Please continue. The experiment requires that you continue. It is absolutely essential that you continue. You have no other choice. You must go on. Yes, that's correct. But we'll have to continue after this short break. And you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. to me over and over again simultv.com simultv.com what's simultv.com that's what i asked them they had it written on the side of their ufo how do you spell that ufo no i mean simultv.com 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 right simultv.com interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com ufo last night oh yeah yeah 
Now that you mention it, I remember now last night I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. SIMULTV.com. In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she'd been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past lives that links some of the most horrific killers in history to one another. Using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet's day, I was able to verify some of Jenny's claims. She has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife. Does this prove the reality of her tales? Conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions. Conversations is available at Amazon.com. Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. It's formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. Welcome back to Too Good To Be True. And before the break, we're going through the questions and psychic insight. Dad, can you please continue? Yes. If the teacher asked whether the learner might suffer permanent physical harm, why would the answer be trusted? Although the shocks may be painful, there is no permanent tissue damage. So please go on. Basically, an experiment, the participants normally trust the people conducting the experiment. Even in experiments with animals, the trust is built, and basically the trust is used against them. How many teachers would have known that an electric shock of far less than a maximum of 450 volts would have been lethal? It's not common knowledge, so many people would not know how much it would take to harm a person. Why did the prediction that only a minimal percentage of teachers would continue to the end of the experiment turn out to be entirely wrong? with 65% continuing to the end. Again, it's building trust and building trust in the participants, so they do not want to continue. Were there large differences in cultures when the experiment was repeated many times around the globe with fairly consistent results? Yes and no. There is this trust aspect, so any culture can build this trust. 
Is it true today that there is extreme willingness for people to go to almost any lengths on the command of an authority? That could be said. There are always people who do fight back, do not listen, but also many who will just follow orders. Can ordinary people simply doing their jobs and without any particular hostility on their part become agents in a terrible, destructive process? Anything is possible, so yes, that could happen. Is it true that when people are asked to carry out actions incompatible with fundamental standards of morality, relatively few have the resources needed to resist authority? Again, that is a very assumption-based statement, where yes, there are cases that is true. Were the results of the Milgram experiment helpful in understanding how the Holocaust occurred, even though disobeying orders would have resulted in severe punishment, including the death penalty? Yes, partially yes. And again, it goes back to this more mind control and trust that is felt. What can we learn from the Milgram experiment? Basically, that any participant you put in an experiment is almost the same design. There's this trust built and they will trust almost everything that is said. If you say something or someone will not be harmed or you're doing it for the best or things like that, there is this mind control aspect where they trust they are doing the best or right thing and they will be told that they are doing the right thing. Changing subject to the bystander apathy experiment and the background behind it, are, they, are the details correct in that Kitty Genovese, after parking her car near her apartment, was chased down by Winston Mosley, who twice stabbed her in the back? Yes. After Kitty screamed for help and a neighbour responded shouting at the criminal, let the girl alone with Winston Mosley fleeing the scene, why didn't that neighbour or another neighbour call the emergency services for help? They didn't want to be involved, so they didn't think it was their business. Is there any reason why people would think that way? Was it that being neighbourly was not part of being a neighbour? That is part of it, and also that if it's not their problem, they don't want to become involved in the bigger problem. Had the emergency number 911 been in place in 1964, would there have been an immediate response as citizens would have, been, would have had the mindset of calling 911? Not always, no. There are many that will see something happen, but just don't want to get involved. How did Winston Mosley know he was safe from arrest after returning 10 minutes following the response of the neighbour? He didn't. He just took a chance. With Kitty Genovese almost unconscious on the ground, why did no one go to her aid or try to prevent Mosley from stabbing her again? Again, they didn't want to be involved, and there's some fear in getting involved where they didn't want to get be harmed or get their families harmed. Why did it take a sexual assault on a dying or dead victim by Mosley for a neighbour to call the police? Because it put it over the edge for that neighbour where they couldn't stop and stand by any longer. Were there 38 or more neighbours who witnessed the murder and assault with only one neighbour taking action that was too late to help Kitty Genovese? For adults, yes. Was Winston Mosley under the influence of alcohol or drugs when he committed capital crimes in plate sign in plain sight? He had drugs in his system, yes. As indicated by Latane and Darley, were the neighbours as individuals less likely to help in an emergency when in the presence of other neighbours? Yes, there's also the kind of conclusion where they believe it's someone some someone else's problem. Is Lieutenant Darley's conclusion correct in that the greater the number of bystanders, 
less likely that an individual bystander is going to act? Yes and no again. It depends on the situation and the person. But yes, that conclusion can be drawn, yes. Even if we ourselves could be in danger, does being surrounded by people who do nothing make us more likely also to do nothing? Yes. Is the reason for not acting the assumption that somebody else is going to act or being judged on one actions, on one's actions or a combination of the two? Yes, it's a combination of the two. Is calling for help a matter of responsibility? If I'm alone, are the consequences of mitigating a dangerous situation down to me as an individual, so I am more likely to act? Yes, and also there are no other people watching you act either. Was the bystander apathy experiment or experiments entirely ethical? Again, that's a very difficult question since ethics and morals are based on an individual, so some would say no. What else can we learn from the bystander apathy experiment? Basically, if you see something or if something is wrong, make sure you call it in. It's better to have multiple people call it in rather than nobody. Even if you think it's not your place to call it in, you may be saving someone or saving someone from harm. The first two experiments involved inhumanity to fellow humans. Did the results arise from our inability or reluctance to recognize suffering in others? Not 100% no. It's also the lack of understanding. There's a lack of understanding of humans don't fully understand other humans and don't understand themselves. It comes back to how humans are going away from really helping each other understand each other, but go on with their daily tasks and focus on what they need to focus on. It takes a lot to understand another person and another person's perspective. Why is helping our fellow human beings less important to us when there is shared responsibility? Basically, the group mentality. So following the group is very important and is embedded in the history of humans, where it's harder to speak up rather than follow the group. Is there a danger with today's social media with potentially greater shared responsibility that there is likely, less likelihood of an individual taking action or have the dynamics changed? Yes, they have, where social media has made it easier for people to have a voice and follow the group and do more unethical things. Today, with so much instant social media and the experimental necessity of maintaining a controlled environment, would similar experiments to those discussed be impossible to repeat? Yes and no. There is always somebody that is going to push the boundaries and try to repeat the experiment or try a different one. In a more well-known setting, it would almost be impossible. For example, with the shared responsibility for world hunger and for protecting the environment, what is needed for us to better help each other as part of a world community? Understanding. So understanding not just themselves, but each other. So speaking up. So having those leaders that actually have the followers behind them. That was the last answer. Would a better understanding of each other leading to a better world be too good to be true? That depends on what you are prepared to believe. I guess the outcome of all three experiments was counterintuitive, but I have no knowledge of psychology and I really don't know what to think, except um, you have to think carefully in a stressful situation, even though stress makes it difficult to think clearly. Well, I think what's most complicated is that a lot of the big lessons and what 
psychologists have learned over the years are usually in situations that were accidental or could not be performed today. So it's interesting looking back at these because in a lot of cases, especially with the Stanford prison experiment, things like that wouldn't get approved nowadays. Okay. Um, I wonder if we should ask for more suggestions for uh, future shows. We can do that, but I also want to bring up one other point about today's show is that there is a mention of animal testing, and it's interesting comparing the human testing and, you know, really evaluating the brain of humans to animals also. So as people may assume about me, I'm a huge advocate for animals, and I think that many people don't know that animal testing is still going on to this day, especially in other countries, and that these animals, just like some of these humans, don't really have a voice. But anyway, let's go back to the suggestions. You can always contact us on our Facebook page at Too Good To Be True, the first two spelled T-W-O, and we're open to any suggestions. So if you have knowledge about psychology, you want us to cover other experiments, other more scientific experiments, anything like that. If you want us to cover more things back into the paranormal or dad's favorite ancient history, you can contact us on there and also our Instagram page at T-W-O-G-T-B-T. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, thank you so much for listening to the show and we look forward to next week's show as always. Thank you.